And once again, while the children are going, would you, the rest of you, please find your Bibles and turn with me to what is a very significant, very important passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Have that open before you, John chapter 17. And as we anticipate what God has for us here this morning, let's pray and ask for his help. So would you please pray with me? Father, it is amazing to us that when we sing, you're listening. And when we pray, you listen. So, Father, we come to you now and we ask you for help. We acknowledge our weakness, we acknowledge our need. And we acknowledge that you are a great and loving God, eager to give good gifts to his children, eager to pour out grace on us now. And so, God, we ask for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes to your word. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to believe that next week is officially the first Sunday of Advent. It will be the first day of December, next Sunday. The Advent candles will be here, the first one of them lit Encouraging us to be anticipating Christmas Day when we celebrate the wonderful first coming of Christ. During the month of December, we'll turn our attention on Sunday mornings to thinking about Jesus in a very specific, very focused way. But today, I want us to think about one last entry in our Why We Gather series. And to do that, I want us to look at some verses here in John chapter 17. Let me give you just a little background to what we're going to see in a moment. Jesus' time with his disciples is very rapidly coming to an end. Just a matter of hours after what we'll see here in chapter 17, Jesus will be arrested and then he'll be tried and then he will be led just outside the city walls of Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha where he'll be hung on a cross and killed. But for now, he has gathered with his disciples in a borrowed room, the upper room of a house in the heart of the city of Jerusalem. They are there observing the annual Passover meal together. Thirteen men, Jesus and his little church, you could say. He's gathered them there for a time of instruction. He's gathered them there for a time of being together. He's gathered them there for a time of encouragement and strengthening. He's gathered them. 
just like we've seen these past three weeks, for them to hear from God through Him. And for them to speak to God in Him. And for them to be an encouragement to one another around that table. And as, as they're there in that room, Jesus engages in one of the most extensive and just unusually rich concentration of teaching. It's really remarkable the things that Jesus shares with them in chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 of the Gospel of John. Some of the richest teaching that we have from Jesus about how the disciples are to relate to one another, about how the disciples are to relate to the world, about how they are to relate to him, how they are to abide in him and continue to abide in him, about how he will send them another one, another comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's a remarkably rich concentration of instruction that Jesus is very deliberately imparting to his disciples. Just a brief time, he will head out with his disciples from that place, that upper room, and they'll go out through the main part of the city, walking as a group through the streets of Jerusalem at night. They'll go out the east gate of the city, and they'll cross over a little little brook, a little valley, the Kidron Valley. And they'll walk, not even a half a mile, to a little garden where Jesus frequently went with his disciples. You see this there in the very first verse of chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And when he gets there, a series of events will very quickly unfold that will lead to Jesus being crucified. But before they leave that room, After Jesus has finished his teaching that we have in chapters 13 through 16, Jesus prays for his disciples. That's what John 17 is. It's Jesus' prayer, and there is something in his prayer that teaches us that there is one more reason why we gather on Sundays, and that is in order to be sent out to get sent back out. Listen, we do not exist as a church primarily to gather. No, we exist primarily for something else. Yes, we gather to hear from God and to speak to God and to encourage one another, but we do all of that in order to do something else that God has called us to be and to do. And we see that here in this prayer of Jesus in John 17. I'm not going to read this whole chapter. It certainly warrants reading. Maybe that's something you might do later today. I'm just going to read a few verses, a small section of this prayer, just eight verses. You follow along as I read. I'm going to start at verse 14. This is God's Word. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I mean, there is so much here. But there are two big things I want us to see in these verses. The description of a Christian and our purpose as Christians. So first, notice how Jesus describes what it is to be a Christian. Look again at verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we're not of the world anymore. There's been a change in us. We're different now. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, what we used to be, have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something has happened, something has changed for anyone who has come to Christ in repentance and faith. They've been given a new life. They've been born again, their fundamental identity. If you are in Christ, your fundamental identity has changed. Our identity is no longer of the world. Our identity is now anchored in Christ. In fact, you see it right there in verse 14. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So important is that truth that Jesus repeats it verbatim in verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We've been united to Christ, joined to Christ. Listen to how, how Jesus maps this out in this prayer. The word of the gospel has come. And that word has created faith in the hearts of people. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this word, this truth of the gospel has done a work. It has brought about a fundamental change, setting us apart from the world and into Christ. Notice how Jesus tracks this out. Verse 14, I have given them your word. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified, set apart, different now in the truth. So this the description of the Christian is that he is, she is, no longer of this world. He is, she is, of Christ. That's their primary identity. But notice verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is like the second half of Jesus' description of the identity of a Christian. Jesus prays to the Father, listen, I'm not asking you that you take them out of the world. Not yet. You see, Jesus intends for us to be in the world. So here is the fundamental description of the Christian experience. The Christian is in the world, but not of the world. Distinct, but present. And that's for a purpose. We'll see that in just a moment. But first, let's just take a moment to 
to talk objectively and matter-of-factly about this description that we've just seen. The challenges, I think we could say the dangers that we face as Christians living in this world are real, right? They're serious. In our culture, most of them are subtle, but no less dangerous. There is the very real danger of compromising our allegiance to Jesus in this world. There's the very real danger of compromising our identity, of compromising our character, our love for Christ. There is the very real danger every day of compromising your spiritual life in favor of some more pressing or more apparently attractive thing. And then add to that the fact that there really is an enemy of your soul. A real personal enemy who is out to get you. See what Jesus says there in verse 15? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus says it ever so clearly here. We are not of the world, but we are in the world. That's the way he intends it to be for us. See, the Christian is is not to just kind of blend in to the world. And the Christian is not to completely withdraw from the world. The Christian is in the world, but not of the world. Distinct, different, but very present, which makes the Christian life inherently challenging. I like to think of it as endlessly interesting. Living as Christians, living as followers of Christ, we are not afforded the luxury of blending in. Just going with the flow. And we are not afforded the opposite luxury of complete disengagement. We are called to be distinctive in the world, which is challenging. So last Sunday evening, I had the privilege of teaching our high school students at their Sunday evening gathering. I was, I was so encouraged by being with them last Sunday. I so enjoyed that. When Ryan Fultz come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him if we can switch spots. <laughs> I mean, I was really proud of our high schoolers last week. I started out my teaching with this kind of visual aid. I had a table in front of me, and on that table I had three different little setups. Over here I had a couple apples and a couple oranges just sitting on the table, and here in the middle I had a bowl, a basket, with apples and oranges in it, And over here, I had a a wall. I I borrowed my son's Legos that he used, just to be clear, that he used to play with. (laughs) And on one side of that wall was an apple, and on the other side of the wall were some oranges. And then I had one of our students come up and take one of those oranges from the first setup and peel it. And we took that orange peel and put it around one of the apples. And so you had an apple covered with an orange peel. And so then I asked them, um, which one of those three best represents the way a Christian is supposed to be in the world? An apple that looks like an orange, apples and oranges together in a bowl, or a dividing wall so that there's no contact between the apples and the oranges. I I told them, I want you to come up with an answer to which of those best represents and why. And then I told them, I'm going to give you extra credit 
if you can bring some biblical support to your answer. And then I, I made the mistake of saying, and I'm going to give the largest bill in my wallet because I thought I just had singles in one five. And uh, I opened up my wallet and there's a 20 and I thought, no, 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 no. Um, I'm going to give a five to the best answer. And so they split into groups. I gave them five minutes and I tell you their answers were wonderful. They were clear. They were careful. They were biblical. And you know what? Several of them referenced this passage in their answer. John 17, where Jesus says, we are in the world, but not of the world. Listen, there's two things the Bible clearly will not allow us as Christians to do. First, it won't allow us to conform to the world, to blend in, to be orange peel Christians. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't love the world. You're different. Be different. You're a Christian. And second, the Bible will not allow us as Christians to withdraw from the world and make sure there's no contact. We are to be present, distinct, but present in all sorts of ways. Listen, God wants us present in the world as Christians. Observable by the world. Your work habits, observable. Your marriages, observable. Your families, observable. Your values, how you live, what you live for, observable. Very distinct, but very present. So that's the first thing that we see here, the description of what it means to be a Christian. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, he very quickly follows that description with the reason, the purpose. Look again at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Do you hear this? Jesus says very clearly to God the Father, as you sent me into the world, that is, with a clear purpose, so I am sending. In fact, I have sent them into the world with a purpose. So what's the purpose? To get, to get eaten up and battered around for believing? In Jesus, to be just worn out by believing in the face of all of the opposition. Listen, if you've been a Christian for more than just a little while, you realize believing is tiring. When most of the people around you don't believe, it's tiring. At your work, or in your school, or in your neighborhood, maybe even in your family, it's tiring to keep believing when most of the people around you don't. So what is the purpose of us being in the world? Look at verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us. Here it is. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's the purpose? What's the reason? That Jesus calls us to be in the world while not of the world so that our distinctiveness, our connection with Jesus might cause others to be aware that there is a God who saves. There's a God who's made a way of salvation that the world may believe that you have sent 
me, Jesus says. And that they too might have life in me. Listen, there is, there is absolutely no question. There just can be no question when you read the Gospels that Jesus has a deep love and compassion for the world, for mankind. That's just no question about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that very love of God is present. It's embodied in all of its fullness in Jesus and in his love. And we see that throughout the Gospels. We, we see it, for example, in that moment when Jesus is outside the city of Jerusalem, up on that hill, and he's looking down into the city of Jerusalem, and he weeps with compassion for the lost people in that city. And we see it when a young lawyer comes to test him with evil intent. And Jesus looked at him with compassion. He loved him. We see it every single time Jesus interacts with people. Jesus loves the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. So there is this very clear purpose for us being in the world. We have a purpose as Christians. God has a purpose for us. Jesus has sent us, as he says of his disciples here, into the world to live so that people might be made aware of and believe in the God who saves and who has made a way of salvation through Jesus. That's our purpose. That's our mission. God wants us present out in the world as Christians. Listen, your job description as a Christian, my job description as a Christian is not fulfilled just by my kind of private Christianity and going to church once a week. It must include being different but present. It must include being distinctive but present. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, followers of Jesus who seek to hide have ceased following Jesus. So wherever it might be, at your job, in your school, at the store, on the road, around the Thanksgiving table, Christian, be present and distinctive. Not just blending in, hoping no one's going to notice you. And not pushy and off-putting. Just be real. All right, let me try to summarize what I've just said in four statements growing out of the prayer of Jesus for the church. Four simple statements. Statement number one, there is a purpose, a mission for Christians. I've said this several times already today. I want you to hear it loud and clear. God wants us present out in the world as Christians. Let your light shine before others so that they may see. Did you notice that I haven't said a peep this morning about you talking or about you sharing your testimony? Now, we need to be ready. The Bible says, be ready. If someone asks you about the hope that is in you, but I haven't said anything about that. Jesus is just saying, I want you to be present, living as a Christian out there so that people can see so first, there is a purpose that we have, each and every one of us as Christians. Second, statement number two, fulfilling that purpose 
is really challenging. It's tiring. It's hard. Jesus repeatedly warns us of this. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will face opposition. You're going to face hardship. You will be misunderstood. Sometimes you'll be hated. Fulfilling our purpose is challenging. It's tiring. It can be tempting to quit or to just go undercover. So, statement number three, we need to be regularly strengthened for this purpose. We need to be re-energized, re-fortified. We need our commitment strengthened. We need our, our faith strengthened, our belief strengthened. We need our, our resolve strengthened. We need our hope in Christ, our joy in Christ, our peace in Christ strengthened. I, I don't think anyone in this room will disagree with statement number three. We need to be regularly strengthened. So Christians have a purpose in this world. That purpose is challenging. We need to be regularly strengthened. Now, fourth, statement number four. We regularly gather together as believers for that strengthening. To be strengthened for our purpose, to be strengthened for our mission, to be strengthened to go back out again. We gather to hear from God together. We saw that three weeks ago. We gather to speak to God together. We saw that two weeks ago. We gather to encourage one another together. We saw that last week, and now we gather to be sent back out. That's what we see today. You know, if you're interested at all, or if you watch sports at all, you'll be familiar with this, this thing called a huddle. It happens in most sports, actually. The players gather around each other, usually with their arms draped around each other's shoulders. It's particularly strategic in football. It happens before every play. I don't know if you're aware of what actually goes on inside that huddle, but they're not just hanging out. They're not like, you know, telling jokes, exchanging recipe ideas. They're not catching up on world news. They're coming together before every play very specifically to hear instructions, to communicate, and to share a little bit of encouragement with each other. But you know this, the huddle is not the point of the game. It's for something, something else, something bigger. And it's the same for us. We come together to receive instruction, to be encouraged, but also to be equipped, strengthened, to get back in play, out on the field. Or maybe think of it this way. I remember learning. I, I can't quite remember what year of school this was, maybe fourth grade, maybe fifth grade, about centripetal and centrifugal force. My, my friends, Peter Gauchel and Todd Armstrong and I were really into that kind of thing except I had a hard time remembering which was which. But there were these two forces, one pulling in toward the center and one pushing away out from the center, and it's exactly the same for us. God is exerting a centripetal force on us, 
pulling us in to come together, God exerting a force that way. Come together. I want you to gather together. But God is also exercising a centrifugal force, pushing us out. I'm sending you out. I want you to be present out in the world as Christians, as the church. God pulling us in, God pushing us out, pulling in, pushing out Sunday by Sunday, God actively calling us to gather together and then Sunday by Sunday, having strengthened and re-energized and refreshed us, God now actively sending us out. Listen, friends, brothers and sisters, we gather week by week God pulls us in. He calls us to huddle up, to hear from him, to speak to him, to encourage one another, to be strengthened. And then he pushes us out and says, now go. I'm sending you. I've got you, each one of you, out there for a reason. You are the light of the world. Go let your light shine out there. Well, let me close with this. I read some time ago a book that began with this sentence. There is not enough darkness in all the world to put out the light of one small candle. And that's true. And sometimes Christians are called to that very difficult task of standing apparently all alone a single candle in the midst of darkness, and God gives them the grace that they need to do that. But I am so grateful that for the vast majority of Christians, God in his mercy, in his kindness, in his wisdom, places us in a body with other Christians. This imperfect, sometimes messy, but beautiful thing called the local church. And in this body, we have the privilege of coming together to encourage one another, strengthening each other, and being strengthened by God together so that we can go out and together, even though we're now scattered, we can have the effect of drawing people's attention to Jesus, to God in all of his saving power and glory. So that they too might find the light that is life. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your kindness to us and this prayer. Um, Thanks for putting it in here. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for praying for us, having us in mind. Father, as we... We've wanted to respond our best to your pulling us in together to do what it is that you call us to do week by week, but we also want to, we want to be sent out in faith and with joy and with confidence and with hope and with something about us that causes people to be aware there is a God and there is a Jesus Lord, help us to be Christ-bearers out into the world. You've given us this task, this, this challenging, 
wonderful privilege. Help us, Lord Jesus. Just a few minutes, we're going to be standing up and walking out those doors and getting in our cars and driving down Highway 50 to wherever we go. God, we want to be light this week and every week when we leave here. Thank you for this wonderful rhythm that seven days from now we'll be here again looking to you, receiving from you, helping one another. But until then, God, send us out. In Jesus' name, amen.